Good morning. I'm Beth, and I'm going to read a number of passages for us from the book of Proverbs. You might find it beneficial to open up to Proverbs chapter 6, 20 to 23, which is on page 910 of the Church Bibles. Uh, for the remainder, to save flicking, you might find it better to just sit and listen. My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 18, verse 20. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Let me pray as we get into this theme of children. Dear Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'm not really a meme person, but uh, my wife knew we were talking about children this week, and so this one came up, and I did think it was kind of appropriate. <laughs> not sure if it's true, but it's at least comforting <laughs> to know that others are laughing with us. Because we know it's kind of true. <laughs> On any given day, our children can drive us a little crazy. And equally, on any given day, parents can be the worst people in the world and the destroyer of all that is good and fun in the universe. But we do love our children. Our children generally love us. And we really want them to love life. We want them to be happy and to have lots of fun. We want them to have friends. Uh, sometimes not that friend, but we want them to have friends. Uh, we want them to be people of character and integrity. We want them to try new things and have wonderful adventures. Uh, we would like them to survive those adventures. My poor mother prayed a lot for me. We want them to be Christians. Uh, we want them to have stable, meaningful employment, whatever that looks like for them. If they're happy being single, that's fine, but we would often love them to be married, and if they do get married, we'd love them to marry someone who will bring out the best in both of them. Now, there are plenty of others, and they are all good things, but I think sometimes we approach this list as if it doesn't matter what order they're in as long as they make the list. But inevitably, we prioritise the things we value the most. And so as a case study, we might say we value happiness, sorry, character over happiness, but if your parenting is anything like our parenting, then we often appease bad behaviour for the sake of happiness, or very least for the sake of peace. 
So sulk enough or scream enough and I will not only give you the ice cream, I'll put sprinkles on it with chocolate sauce. And here's another episode of Bluey. (laughs) And as they get older, you you think we grow out of this practice, but the the stakes just get higher. Um, At some point it ends up being somewhere near cars and things like that. Uh, We've all done it. We keep doing it. And so rather than teaching our children about resilience and perseverance and patience and honouring your parents and discipline, we teach them entitlement. And it's tempting to prioritise happiness because we feel the pursuit of happiness is the key to a good life. And there are so many options for happiness. There's everyone telling us, you know, what path we need to take to find happiness. And, of course, the big message is it doesn't matter what path you choose, the most important thing is to choose the one that's right for you, the one that lets you be your most authentic self. But if we are Christians then we need to reprioritize that list. Because if we think that happiness is the ultimate goal, then we are on the wrong path altogether. In fact, we're trying to climb completely the wrong mountain. So to pick up uh, the language of our series so far, the ultimate goal starts with the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom, which can kind of stick in our throat a little bit because wouldn't it be better to start with the love of the Lord? That sounds far more positive. Uh, In reality, of course, they're two sides of the same coin. If our only picture of Jesus is Jesus who loves little lambs uh, or Jesus who is my mate, then what we end up with is potentially a very permissive picture of Jesus. Jesus who only sees our good and loves us and just sort of ignores the inconvenient sin bits. That's the sort of Jesus who would walk happily with us down the wrong path and tell us to mind the gap. Now that might be what we want, but it's not what we need. Love emphasises God's compassion and mercy and grace. Fear emphasises God's holiness and and justice. It recognises that there are consequences to our choices. And we need to keep both clearly in our mind and we need to feel both deeply. So we want our children to fear the Lord and we want our children to trust the Lord. Trust that Christ's death and resurrection has achieved what he said it would achieve. Trust that when we repent of our sin and commit ourselves to Christ, that our sin really is forgiven and that our eternity is absolutely and irrevocably secure. You know, we might not look forward to death, but we do not need to fear death. And we need to hear, to teach them to trust that God knows what is best for us, not just for our eternity, but now as we live in his world and as we live with the realities of sin and brokenness. And if we do genuinely trust, then we will obey. We will listen to his word and love the things that he loves and hate the sin that he hates. And as we listen, we learn to do that with grace and compassion and humility and generosity. 
And all of that is captured in the word righteousness. Uh, That's our end goal. It's a righteousness that comes through Christ and it's a righteousness that allows us to stand with Christ. And if that's the journey that we want for our children, then the sooner we start, the better. Because it's really hard, if if you're imagining this whole path thing, to bush bash from one path to the other. And so in the words of Proverbs 22, start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old... They will not turn from it. Now, this is a proverb, not a promise. So it's a general truth, but it's not always true. And I say that because there's lots of us here today who earnestly sought to raise our children to love Christ, but that's not the path they have chosen, at least not yet. And for some, that's a source of profound grief. For others, it's a source of profound guilt because you could have done more. And really, that sort of thinking is a bottomless pit, isn't it? Because you could always have done more. And as I stand up here today, even talking about children, I can think about it's easy to say what we should do. It's easy to say what the Bible says we should do. But it's much harder to do it. So we all feel inadequate. And sadly, as a bit of an added bonus, we all often feel judged by others. And to our shame, uh, we have probably all, I presume we have all, judged others for their parenting. Now, we cannot make our children follow Christ. We would love to, that would be convenient. But at the end of the day, that is a choice between them and God and they will be held accountable for their choice. But there is plenty we can do to encourage them down that path. And one thing that is universally accepted is that childhood is by far the most formative time of our life. That is true in all of life, all sorts of things like education and brain development, but it's also true in terms of Christian formation. We know from surveys that about 75% of people become Christians before the age of 20. We also know that out of our young people, that only 60% will go on to own their faith for themselves. That's a tough statistic, isn't it? Massive opportunity, but how do we make the most of that opportunity under God? So step one for parents is establish their path. Step one of establishing their path is to recognise that both mum and dad have a responsibility. Uh, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Mum and dad each bring something unique to parenting. Uh, It's not just that they're two unique human beings... It's also the fact that I am a male human and my wife is a female human. I find it odd in our culture that we commend the unique contribution of men and women in business and in politics, but we often devalue the unique contribution of mum and dad in the family. Uh, There's a whole bunch of reasons why that is not always possible. I'm certainly not saying or suggesting that anyone should stay in an abusive house for the sake of the children. 
And I'm not saying that simply because something isn't ideal that it can't be good and even better than most. But we shouldn't let tragedy or sin detract from God's good order for family. And all things being equal, the best combination is a mum and a dad who love each other and love their children. And despite what some people say, marriage, where two people intentionally commit to one another for life, is still the most stable unit. Something like six times more stable. So living together and having children is not the same as marriage. It might just be a piece of paper, technically, but there is something psychological and spiritual that's significant in committing to that piece of paper. So both mum and dad have a responsibility to instruct and teach. But when it comes to Christian influence, the most proactive contributor is almost always mum. On the most basic level, uh, mums tend to be the ones who read with the children before bed. Uh, So they're the ones reading the Bible and praying. But they're also, most often, the most proactive in getting the family to church. Uh, and getting the kids to, you know, cross-life kids or cross-life youth for us. And perhaps they're the most proactive in having those Christian conversations as they walk down the street, as they drive the kids to school, as they sit around the kitchen bench. Now, that is awesome. You know, we want to celebrate and thank mums, but there's a bit of a challenge in that, isn't there, for us blokes. Uh, Where are we? As Christians... And as husbands, we are called to lead our family in our commitment to Christ. And I think so often Christian husbands, including other husbands, have used that responsibility as an excuse to behave badly or even abusively. But at the other end of the spectrum, we are sometimes using, uh, then neglecting that responsibility or potentially abdicating that responsibility altogether. Uh, now, this isn't about you know, who should read the Bible before bed, although dads can I encourage us to try harder. Um, but even more significant, it's about who's setting the Christian direction of our family and recognising that, humanly speaking, it's our responsibility to keep our family on the right path. And we cannot simply delegate that to our wives. As a brief digression, but I think on topic, husbands and wives also can't delegate that responsibility to church. So mum and dad have a responsibility to raise their children, to know and love the Lord. And we as the body of Christ, as the church, have a responsibility to our youngest members so that they might grow to be mature in Christ. And those two roles complement each other And sometimes those two roles compensate for one another. But getting back to parents, uh, we need to teach and instruct, and that's going to involve words. That's going to involve reading and explaining and answering questions and asking questions and having those conversations. And some of those conversations come out of other conversations, but sometimes as parents we've just got to ask those more pointed questions. You know, questions like, how are you going in your faith? How are you going in your Christian commitment? And as my kids get a little bit older, I don't think I've asked that question enough. Uh, I've presumed 
uh, or I haven't been willing to hear an answer that perhaps I don't want to hear at any particular time. But do we ask those pointed questions? Now, they can choose to answer or they not answer, but do we ask? That's the question. So we use our words, but we also teach and instruct with our deeds, and we show our children what it means to follow Christ in a million different interactions. Some of those choices are big statements like committing to read the Bible with our children coming to church. And on that church topic again, when we do come to church, can I encourage us not to send mixed messages? If our practice is we come to church when we don't have anything else on, that says something about what we value and what we want our kids to value. Not just in terms of church, but what church represents, which is our commitment to Christ. And so if we make exceptions, let's make them exceptional. Uh, But even teach our kids, why do we make exceptions? And that's okay, but let's do it from a Christian rationale. Uh, Other examples stand out a whole lot less, uh, but they all contribute to that bigger picture. You know, like how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the way we talk in front of our children, the way we speak to our children when they leave out the milk and the cereal and pretty much everything else they touched in the house. Uh, How we apologise or don't apologise when we do the wrong thing. We often don't think that stuff makes a whole lot of difference, but our children soak it up. Uh, They're not particularly discerning, so they'll soak up clean, pure drinking water and just as easily, they'll soak up sewage. And so we know that as adults. That's our experience, isn't it? If you've ever been involved in counselling, then often one of the questions will be, tell us about your family of origin. Because the way we were brought up impacts the way we act and behave in our attitudes as adults. And so we need to be clear about what we want for our children. We need to be clear about our influence and our impact. You know, we often don't feel particularly powerful as parents. And there are so many competing voices in the world. You know, they're friendships, but also the media around them. But we are still the most significant influence in their life. And we will always be the most significant influence in their life. And so we teach and we instruct with words and with our example, and we teach and instruct with discipline. And how we discipline should teach them about right and wrong, but should also teach them about the nature of God. Uh, Because in the words of Proverbs 3, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So discipline comes from a place of love, which is often very different, I think, if your discipline's anything like ours, which comes from a place of frustration. Usually we're so annoyed and so frustrated, it's no longer about teaching, uh, it's just about our anger, uh, which is kind of, I think, an appropriate segue to talk about smacking. Uh, there's no getting around it that Proverbs is pro-physical punishment as a form of discipline. Whoever spares the rod hates their child, but the one who loves their child is careful to discipline them. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Now, physical discipline has become 
increasingly uh, contentious in our culture. There's a whole stack of countries uh, that have now banned any form of physical discipline. Uh, And there is no doubt that there has been an awful lot of abuse in families in the name of discipline, whether that's physical or psychologically. Uh, personally, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of physical disciplining. It'd be interesting to know what our children remember. Uh, and I've never felt particularly comfortable with physical different, uh, discipline. So for us, uh, there was an awful lot of threatening bad things, if we count to three, or if we ever reach three. By the time you get to like two and 63, 64 uh, you kind of, you've probably lost your point a little. Uh, there was an awful lot of, you know, go and sit on the stairs and contemplate your life choices. Uh, but for the most part, we didn't physically discipline. But if you do choose to, then we need to make sure that we're doing it for the right reason and that we are going to achieve the right outcome. It's primarily about teaching. So if we're reacting and we're hurting them, either physically or psychologically, because they hurt us, then we're no longer in the discipline space. We're in the retribution space. It should never undermine our child's sense of safety or confidence in us as a parent. It should never undermine our example of Christ. And it should never leave them questioning our love for them. So if we love our children, we will be known for our discipline in whatever form that takes. But we should be even more known for our love, our affirmation, our affection, our grace, and our forgiveness. So let me put it all together. We need to be clear about what we want for our children. We need to be clear about who is leading, and we need to be clear about how we are leading. And for those who would like top tips, here are six, which means inevitably, if I put up six, I've missed about 50. Uh, but, but I've gone with six that, that I didn't feel I, I, I was at five, and then I just threw in an extra one because I couldn't help myself. Uh, but uh, here, here's what I reckon are the top six. And, and mostly these are examples of, of things I, I've either done averagely, some I've done well, but we're all works in progress. Uh, firstly, pray. Uh, ultimately, God is the one that can move hearts of stone. He's the one who gives ears to hear and eyes to see. And so let's pray that God might be merciful. Two, as parents, we need to model what it looks like to follow Christ. And the next one is, it really fits under that one, but as husbands or wives, we need to love our wife or your husband. Uh, Look after your marriage and you'll look after your kids. Uh, Look after your kids and you might lose both. Number four, model God-honouring discipline. Something that teaches them, that shows them they're loved and points them to God's discipline of us. Number five, commit to good habits and make exceptions exceptional. So start with the principle that we always read the Bible and pray before bed. Now, those habits are going to evolve as they learn to read for themselves and as they get older and more independent. But then what are the new habits that you need to create for you know, those different ages and stages of life? Uh, be committed to church, to cross-life kids and to cross-life youth. And at some point, particularly cross-life youth, they're going to make choices for themselves. But start children off in the way they should go 
And even when they're older, they will not turn from it. And then number six, encourage Christian conversations. Uh, Look for the opportunities. And sometimes even when the opportunity isn't there, make the opportunity. But make talking about being Christian as a part of your family life. Uh, It's not something we do on Sunday. It's not something we do just in devotions. It's just the conversation of our life. And again, what you start when they're younger will create a habit and a culture for when they're older. Now, we can always, you know, if we've missed the boat a little bit, oh, well, let's get back in there and and get back on the wagon. Uh, So we've all got our failures, uh, and I appreciate for some in the room that they're at a different age and stage of life. But what do we encourage in our children or as they raise their grandchildren, perhaps? But in everything we do, is that our first love, that they love Christ? Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your mercy and grace. Uh, We thank you for children. We thank you that we are children of our parents. And we thank you for the good influences they've had on our life. Uh, Lord, we pray that our first love might be for us to love you and for our children to love you. And Lord, that we might do everything in our power to honour you and point our children to Christ. Amen.